Hello, welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, whatever we want to talk about. And uh, before you do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks what we do on this podcast? <laughs> on this podcast, we talk, we talk about games, you know? We talk about games. Um, it... Has been a couple a couple weeks. It's been two weeks since we did an episode. Yeah. Um, because neither of us have seen the Marvels, which I guess we kind of have to see it. By the way, yeah. Did you know that it's like ending? It's like like box office runs, like the first flop in Marvel history. I mean, I it's is it the first like it's got to be like by some metric, right? Like I'm sure there's been flops with like movies that have failed to make back their money before this, right? Like more Marvel yeah. movies. Um, it's like the first like. Epic flop, maybe, or some some something like that. Yeah, it is the first one that has really sort of completely collapsed at the box office, right? It had a uh, a pretty good opening weekend, and then it just completely, you know, face planted into the dirt. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to get there. We'll have to go figure this figure this out, I guess. But for now, we have lots of other things to talk about, yeah. uh, including I don't know. What do you want to start with? What do you want to What do you want to talk about first? Well, since we didn't do the movies, we didn't do the Marvels. Um, you saw Five Nights at Freddy. I saw Thanksgiving, which is the name of a horror film um, that came out on Thanksgiving uh, by Eli Roth. Do you want to talk about those first? Do you want to talk about Five Nights at Freddy's? Yeah, Five sure. Freddy's? Five Nights at Freddy's is really interesting to me. This movie made a gazillion dollars. Okay. Um, and I think no one expected it to, which I understand that it's really hard to tell someone that the Five Nights at Freddy's movie is going to be like a huge, huge blockbuster. Now, it is hold, not like the hold, biggest hold on movie of one oh, second. Yeah. I am so sorry. Um, sorry about that, folks at home. Hopefully, if you're listening, I will have remembered to cut this out. Um, but anyway, keep talking about Five Nights at Freddy's, please. Okay, so Five Nights at Freddy's comes out. It is a huge smash hit, right? Um, it had a budget that's pretty small. It was like $15 million or something like that. Made like $100 million in its first like weekend and a bunch of money afterwards. This is really a an eye-opening, in my opinion, moment, I think, for folks when it comes to the financial viability of um, uh, video game movies because we have not had the anomalous hit. We have had the pattern-making hit. The, the pattern... Or the anomaly is Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers earlier this year comes out, also makes a bunch of money, but that's just a one-off, right? That could be a fluke. But when you have Super Mario Brothers and Five Nights come out and they are both huge, huge releases, um, I think that's the thing that makes a difference. Um, which to me is the most interesting story when it comes to Five Nights at Freddy's. It actually has very little to do with the movie itself. Frankly, the movie is sort of dog shit. It is more dog shit than anyone I have really ever seen who understands both the Five Nights at Freddy's lore and sort of movies. Like most people are either bought into Five Nights at Freddy's lore and they think the movie is good because it essentially just has like a lot of shout outs. It's sort of like solo in that way, right? Like fan it service. just has like a lot of yeah, a lot a lot of fan service shout outs to like lore shit. Um uh but or, like or the movie YouTubers. actually I saw I saw the I saw the Matt Pat clip. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I and I like that shit. I have watched all of those MatPat videos a million times. I think that they're super fun and engaging. Um, you know, watching the process of MatPat or even just like the whole community kind of uncover the story in sort of a 
you know, historiography, archaeology kind of um, uh, kind of way is incredibly fun, incredibly engaging stuff, right? I think this is the core of what appeals about Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, the movie doesn't capture really any of that at all. It's it's a, it's very sort of like basic, but it also just like doesn't make sense on its face, and it's really muted by how PG thirteen it is. Um, you, it's really hard to make a horror movie where you can't have kind of like blore, like like gore and, and blood, blood, and you know, and like viscera and stuff like that. Um, and one of the complicated things about the Five Nights franchise is that. It also doesn't have that stuff, right? It is a very PG-13 kind of like game. But that also leaves the horror implied, right? So, for instance, in the first game, you hear a guy tell you that when the animatronics find you, they are going to stuff you into an animatronic suit, right? Um, that's the thing. In the, in the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's, you have endoskeletons, which are like the under, you know, like the chassis or whatever. And then you have the suits, which is like the stuff that goes on top of an endoskeleton. Any endoskeleton can go in any suit kind of thing. Um, and the idea is the, when the animatronics see you at night, they think that you are an empty endoskeleton. And so they forcibly put you into the, they, they, crunch you into the suit basically um that's horrific that's horrifying but you never see that shit right so that that doesn't really like happen on screen it also doesn't really happen in the five nights movie but like at the same time uh the five nights movie has these like graphic but not graphic kills that are just like it's it's very like incongruous basically. Yeah, I, I, so I think part of the problem too is like um, beyond beyond what you described is that this is I think a, a problem with like um, horror game ad, will be a problem with horror game adaptations, especially once they're kind of like solo horror game adaptations, right? Like you know you're a single character is in the game when you fail, the bad thing happens, right? You could theoretically play an animation for that, but canonically, right by the story. None of that ever happens because the player wins, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, if you, if at least as I understand the Five Nights at Freddy's game, if you played, like, the Five Nights at Freddy's game as a movie and just, like, played, like, a strict adaptation, there would be no kills because the night security guard does the doors right, right? Like, you know, he, he yeah. doesn't die, right? Like, And also, you never see, like, you get the jump scare, which is, you know, the animatronic grabbing you, but then the game... That's yeah, game over. You, cut, yeah, you yeah. Cut, cut to black, so you never really get like the other end of that. Um, I think a lot of the horror in Five Nights at Freddy's comes out of the like the the Tension. psychological mystery kind of of it. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it is very like tense, but it's like um, as you uncover the story of these child murders, right? It is about the sort of dread involved in it, and also kind of the like implications of it so for instance in one of the later games there's a moment um of that game where you you're playing a mini game and the mini game i think is called midnight motorist um and it is a it is a car driving sort of similar you're driving a car through sort of a maze of highways right um the thing that makes midnight motorist scary is when you first start playing the game, 
you're driving the car, right? And every once in a while, a little flash of a light, like somebody taking a picture and like the flash bulb going off, will illuminate on sort of the, you know, like an arcade cabinet will have like a glass face. Yeah. On like the surface of the arcade cabinet, you'll see the picture of a girl, of a little girl, like a little girl's face. Um, and she's smiling. She's having a good time. The next time you see the little girl, she's sad, right? And the third, and that's like the next time you play the game. You play the, the first game, this happens. To play the game the second time, this this new thing happens. If when you play the game the third time, she's crying, and there's a guy in the golden bunny suit, which is like the the murder. It's the murderer in all of these Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, uh, is behind her, and I think the fourth time you play the game, or maybe this, maybe I'm getting the numbers wrong, but and then the fourth time you play the game, you um, all of the cars are replaced with like a fucked up pixelated dead dog, okay, um, and 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 then you dig into sort of the lore and the secrets, and you find out that this little girl's dog died. Um, and the thing that the guy, William Afton, in the bunny suit does is he tells her that he can fix her dog, right? That he can bring her dog back to life, that he can make her dog better. And that is like the first murder in like the, these Five Nights at Freddy's murders, right? You don't see that murder play out. But just like imagine how unsettling that is to yeah. be like playing a cute racy, racy game and then just like slowly it like morphs out from under you. That's the stuff that makes Five Nights at Freddy's it's like good horror, right? Um, and uh, and the movie just has like zero of this, none of it at all, basically. Um, also, just like the plot makes truly zero sense fundamental pieces of the story are obfuscated or to the best of my knowledge, not even there um, in, in order to sort of like answer kind of like a, you know, like, you know, like Pat, we talked about Patrick H. Williams's shut up about plot holes video. Yeah. Um, I th like, I think that that video is good and I appreciate you know, Patrick, I think that he makes good arguments in that video and that in general, we should be pretty accepting of sort of the bigger implications of the world outside of the video. And, you know, that stuff happens a lot of the time. It's not a plot hole. You just kind of have a little imagination. There are like a dozen true gaping plot holes in the Five Nights at Freddy's movie that make zero sense on its face. And I think this is what makes the movie kind of like so bad do, do but make, it sort do of doesn't make matter sense if you know that like if you know the story like you know if you're like a fan that knows all the lore and, like, maybe you, you would cut down on half of them you would say okay. that i know the lore so half of these make sense like so for instance there's this part of the end where the killer he um so the other thing about the suits is that the suits have these things called spring locks, which lock the suit to the endoskeleton. Uh, but the suit can also be worn. You can disengage the spring locks and the suit can be worn by people, right? So it is both a suit and an animatronic, right? right. Um, the way that the, the murderer is killed is that he's wearing this golden bunny suit and the spring locks fire with him inside of the suit and they crunch up his whole body they all you you watch them they snap shut and it's like gruesome or whatever and he says this thing he says i all i he says um i'm coming back 
I always come back. And in the games, he also says this. This is like his famous quote. He says this for a very specific reason. We fight, you know, you sort of fight him in one game, but then the the place where he's in burns down and he shows up later in another game and he says, I'm, and, and then when you kill him the second time, he says, I'm going to come back. I always come back. Right. Um, but in the movie, that line makes zero sense. He's never gone away. He was never caught in the first place. Right. He was never killed. He, there was nothing to stop him from that. So when the spring locks are firing and he says, I'm coming back, I always come back. That's a line that you would understand is his trademark line, but it makes no sense in the movie itself, right? It's like a complete non sequitur, essentially. Outside of the fact that I guess he's dying and he's, you know. Like, because, like, presumably the first time he dies is like, you know, he doesn't know that he's going to come back, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like this is like the weird mystical bullshit part of the part of the lore, right? Like, like the, the Yeah, and it's like and the word I always come back implies that he's done this before, but he never went anywhere the first time. So yeah, it's just yeah. like that makes zero sense, right? Um but it's just like raw like baseline plot mechanics make zero sense. Um and there's also just like a lot of stuff that truly boggles the imagination um in terms of like oh god, like it's I I it's like it's so fucking weird and stupid that I can't even it's this guy his he lives in a town which is he okay the story of the the movie is his little brother has been kidnapped and killed um uh his little brother has been kidnapped and killed as as when was murdered as a kid um yeah man where do i even go from this okay He's murdered his kid. He moves and he has his his younger sister. Okay. And he's taking care of his younger sister. Um, and he needs a job. He accepts a job as a nighttime security officer at the five nights place. He accepts a job from the guy who you will later learn murdered his little, his little brother. Okay. And then he meets a cop who you will later learn is the murderer's daughter who knew about the murders that her father was committing and and is also on the beat of the 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 pizzeria right and it's just like it's just this wild set set of coincidences essentially um that i don't know it just like makes i don't know it just like makes no fucking sense okay interesting um i guess but uh, it did well, so you know we'll probably get another one. Yeah. Maybe we'll probably get another one. And I'm gonna keep you know watching these videos, digging into the lore. Like I said, I think Five Nights at Freddy's is really interesting. Um, I think uh, it's really evocative, and I'm just like really connected to sort of seeing how it plays out, kind of passively from on high, um, because you know I don't know, kids love this shit, I guess. Um, anyway. That's it. That's Five Nights at Freddy's. You should watch it sometime. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> we'll take it from there. It is on. It is on a streaming service. It's on Peacock. I oh, think okay. Paramount Plus. One of those. Oh, I, I've got one of those through like my cable provider. Um, so I'll maybe watch it, or maybe I won't. Anyway, I watched a movie that, like you know, uh, is very stupid. It's called Thanksgiving. Um, the subtitle is "There Will Be No Leftovers." Um, uh, the basic, I mean, I guess mild spoilers for this dumb movie. Um, it's an Eli Roth flasher fic. Um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't taking itself seriously. So there's a little bit more to be forgiven here. Um, the plot is, is this movie is, is 
Boston as fuck. Everybody's got like super thick Boston accents. Um, and it's very stupid. But like, so the plot is, is that the rich guy in town owns like, you know, off like, you know, it's called like buy rate or something. It's like a big store that's having a big Black Friday sale. Um, uh, but they're opening on Thanksgiving, right? Um, and so a ton of people have shown up to get in the store, you know, like kind of kind of like, you know, like um, I, I don't think it happens as much anymore because of like Internet shopping. But like, you know, I don't know if you if you ever did this when you were a kid, like people would line up at like 6 a.m. and like, you know, like crush each other right to like get in uh, on like Black Friday. Right. So that's the kind of like, you know, people are lined up waiting for the store to open at 6 p.m. on Thursday um, of Thanksgiving. And the daughter of the guy who owns the store, she's like with her friends and like the friend, one of her friends needs like a new cell phone because he like got into a fight and the screen got cracked or something. So she Mm -hmm. lets them into the store early um, and they kind of taunt the the people outside because like it was the people the details not important but anyway this causes a stampede which kills several people right um and this is like your setup and then the next year um all the people involved like start to die and this is your setup right it's a guy dressed up as um i think the founder of plymouth it's like it's kind of it looks kind of like a guy fox mask but it's like a pilgrim hat and like a fake face mask and this person is killing a bunch of people and it's like who's the guy that did it you've got a couple of red herrings right and it's a twit it's none of the people that like you would reasonably expect it's for like a you know um it's a very you know very stupid kind of uh plot line but it's got some fun gory kills it doesn't take itself too seriously um one of the character like one of the you know minor spoilers for this movie um and the end scene, one of the characters ends up trussed up like a turkey and put in an oven and gets served to some of the other characters. Very kind of ghoulish, um, you know, terrifying stuff, right? Um, uh, but it's super dumb and it's super goofy. And, uh, you know, it was an okay way to burn 90 minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so part of the thing here is that... Um, for various reasons, my family ended up doing our Thanksgiving dinner on Black Friday. And so on Thanksgiving, um, uh, me and my girlfriend didn't have a ton to do because, like, you know, most of the shops were closed. But the theater was open, which was a little bit funny going into this movie where essentially the the part of the message is, is like, you shouldn't open shit on Thanksgiving, right? Like, let me, and so it's kind of like, oh, huh, well, you know, I guess I'm going to sit here and watch this movie telling me not to do the thing that I didn't want to do. Um uh, but it was it was like I said it was an okay way to burn some some time. Um, the theater crowd they, we were not the only people there. There was a guy there with his um, disabled adult son, uh, and then there was um, got kind of the that movie experience where someone in the back row is like, oh no, don't go in there, right? Like that kind of thing, <laughs> which is like yeah, perfect perfect for this perfect for this movie, right? It's exactly that stupid. Um, so you know. Yeah, funnily enough, uh I also had no Thanksgiving, but like Black Friday was was our thing cuz we ended up driving down to like San Diego. Um 
Did you? I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to cut this off. Uh, what was there anybody that like was notable or like is there anything notable in the in the construction of this Thanksgiving movie? Where did it come from? I mean, Eli Roth is the director, and um, oh, uh, something is. I will try and put a link in the description, but um, one of the girl main characters, like you know, like one of she's not like the main character is like um, an Instagram influencer. Um, and she did a video for like, like, you know, like a, you know, like a go watch Thanksgiving Twitter video, but it's like set. To, it's, it's like, it's like 2008 bottled in a 90 second video. I need, I need to, to find this. Oh my God. Wait, 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 wait. This is insane. I can't believe this is real. Did you, did you ever watch the movie Grindhouse? No. Okay, Grindhouse is a movie directed by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Do you know who right. Robert Rodriguez is? Uh, uh, yeah, he later became the Spy Kids guy, right? Um, but um, uh, he's, in my opinion, the the stuff that he's like great and crazy for. Uh, it's like Sin City is uh, he made um, the Desperado trilogy, the one um, or Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Desperado. Uh, wasn't there another one? Um, El Mariachi. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the guy who carries around the guitar case, but it's actually, like, got guns. Um, right. That's, like, Robert Rodriguez. He's just, like, a famous guy from, like, 90s independent cinema. They made a movie called Grindhouse, which is a right. double feature of two sort of half movies. Um, one of them called Planet Terror, about a woman with a, uh, an M16 for a leg. Yeah, I think that was called Death Proof. But as part of it, there are also a bunch of trailers for movies that do not exist, okay? Uh, but some of them you might have heard of. You know Machete? Yeah, yeah, with, uh, with uh, what's his nuts? Uh, uh, yeah, Danny Trejo. Yeah, yeah. That's a movie that was, that was a trailer for uh, Grindhouse. Hobo with a Shotgun was a trailer for Grindhouse. Uh, Thanksgiving, I, I didn't realize this at the time. Oh, I haven't is, seen this is, movie is, in forever. Is, it, uh, is a, yeah, is a movie, is one of the trailers from from Grindhouse. That is so cool. I am so glad I asked that question and looked it up. I didn't know this answer until, you know, I decided to, to look into it um, just so, because, uh, yeah. So the TikToker is Addison Rae. Um, okay. Uh, and I, I sent it to you. Um, let's see if I can actually throw this up relatively quick. Because uh, this video is, like, everything that's, like, uh, do, okay, uh, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to be able to click on it. But this, this, this video is, like, 2008, like, in a bottle. Uh, like, it's, what's, what's I, I, I can't, probably can't play it because it'll probably get copyright struck because it's, like, some song from, like, it is, it is, just, I'm going to encourage everybody to go watch it. Um, I will, I will make sure to post it in the description. It is like, if you were alive, like if you were our age, basically in 2008, then this will be like, oh, this feels like high school, right? Or like, oh, this feels like college if you're slightly older, right? Like, um, uh, okay. I have never heard of Addison Ray, but I actually think that's probably untrue. I think I have heard of Addison Ray, yeah, and I've just been like, "Who's that?" Uh, but now that I see that she's the fourth, fourth most popular TikToker in the world, uh, I guess I understand. Yeah. Uh, no, I, when, when, I, when I was looking at, so I, I thought I recognized one of the other characters, which turns out no, he's not been in anything else. But like as I was looking through, it was like Addison Ray. I recognized that name, but not in a way that I know. And then like mm -hmm. you know went through it. And, 
huge TikToker. Anyway, very silly movie. If you need to burn some time, it's not a bad thing to have on in the background. Um, if you want, like, classic horror schlock, right? And, and to your point, right, like, Eli Roth directed this. He was, he, you know, he's um, friends with Quentin Tarantino from, uh, he's he's the bear Jew in um, in Glorious Bastards. Um, the best, the best of the of the Quentin Tarantino movies. That's my actually, that's not true. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is better. Uh, but it used to be the best of the the Quentin Tarantino movies was Inglorious Bastards. I need I need to watch the full canon because I have not watched um, Reservoir Dogs. Um, and like, oh yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah, um, it's good. But, you know, Pulp Fiction is also very good, right? Like you know, um, yeah. But there's you know he. Quentin Tarantino makes very uh, iconic movies. Is 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 the way to put it? Maybe is he is he uh, done? Is he said he's done? No, 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 no. He well, he said he was good. Okay, a long time ago, he said he was making ten movies. He was like, "This is a director should have ten movies. That's it, right?" Um, I don't. I don't think that he's actually going to like. That, that, to me, sounds like apocryphal, right? Like, you know, is he really going to not make more than 10 movies because in 2004 he, like, told some fucking film magazine that he was only making 10 or whatever? Um, but technically speaking, uh, it might be, like, his final, you know, whatever. His What is his upcoming movie, though? I do remember um, that uh, he... God... In 2009, Tarantino said that he planned to retire from filmmaking when he's 60, which is now. I think he's 60 now, um, in order to focus on writing novels and film literature. Um, uh, the movie critic, yes, I do know this, um, about Pauline Kael, who's very in, in just like insanely famous, uh, like movie um, uh, movie critic. This is what everybody. This is what everybody thinks is. Uh, I don't know. This is what everybody thinks his like last movie is going to be. Uh, people call it his tenth and final film, but you know who knows. Okay. Uh, Honestly, I need to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was my movie of the year that year. Yeah, I need to rewatch it too. Um, uh, all right. Um, and so uh, I think that's enough on that movie. Um, you mentioned sure. San Diego. I know that you you did some fun stuff in San Diego. Yeah, did you it? see any boat picks? Do you see my sweet I, boat picks? I saw your sweet boat picks. <laughs> um, yeah, like the whole the whole thing with going to San Diego was honestly super fun. Um, I went we went to San Diego for my birthday. Rachel took me down there. We stayed uh, at this hotel across the street from San Diego Harbor. Um, there is a museum that I thought was a building, but it turns out it's just a bunch of boats called the um, the American Maritime Museum, uh, or the U.S. Maritime Museum, actually, um, the, which has a number of different boats on its, like, you know, in its in its roster. One of which, um, the core museum itself is an old steamboat that has been converted into like a dry, you know, a dry dock. It's just sitting still, basically. Uh, but you can like go all throughout the steamboat. It's a steamboat that um, was in uh, San Francisco Harbor when the 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 earthquake, the 1903 earthquake and fire happened. Um, and it saved a bunch of people's lives because they all went out on this boat and the boat just took off and just kind of hung out in the bay, um, you know, while the fire was sort of like raging and all of these people were, were like saved or whatever. Um, but uh, but it also has like a bunch of cool shit. They have uh, the thing. The two big things that we did was one. We did an event called Boarded, which was like live theater 
on a ship, okay? Because they have this recreation of the 15th of the the 16th century Spanish galleon that explored up the California coast for the first time called the San Salvador. Um, There's this, you know, in the age of exploration, there's this Spanish explorer. He essentially, you know, like there was no Panama Canal at the time um, and nobody had sailed under the um, uh, Patagonia, which is like the bottom tip of South America because Patagonia is like insanely hard to navigate, right? Yeah. Tons and tons of ships have like... Uh, been wrecked going trying to go under the bottom tip of south america so this this guy he basically made he he in i think it was in guatemala like modern day guatemala um uh maybe it was el salvador or something like that he basically made a shipyard and a dry dock on the pacific coast um in order to make three ships, right, that he could take on a uh, sort of like an exploratory voyage. And he scaled, sailed all up the California coast, uh, discovered San Diego Bay for the first time, um, you know, just discovered a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff kind of connecting it to sort of like the modern European kind of colonized world of, you know, uh, North and South America. And, uh, and they have a recreation of his, of his galleon. Um, and so what they do is they take you out on this, on this galleon and then they have this like sort of tacky for kids, but it's like funny just for kids thing where like pirates board the ship and they take the ship over. Um, they put a bunch of gunpowder in the cannons and they fire the cannons and, and it's just like, it's dumb, but it was like, it was very fun. It was very cute. They all sang me happy birthday, which was, which was pretty funny. <laughs> was this just, was this just for you? Were you like the only person there? No, no, no. It's like okay. a big group of people okay. were there. I had a little costume. Uh, I had this like $20 spirit Halloween pirate costume and hat. Um, uh, and then the second day. I, I, the, I'm we, just imagining you standing on the boat and like seeing this pirate jump on the boat and be like, look out! Just like decking like a, a person, just like throwing them off the boat. <laughs> yeah. And then the second day, we went out on a sailing boat called the Californian, which is. Um, uh, do you know about this revenue? Have you ever heard of revenue cutters? It's like a weird little piece of American history I've never heard of before. No. Okay, so a revenue cutter is the actual etym- – it's like the, the beginnings of the IRS um, because in the olden days, there was no income or property tax. There were only import and export tariffs, right? The way the United States government funded itself was through import and export tariffs. Um, and so... Yeah, just, uh, just as a historical point, income tax was constitutionally illegal until um, they passed an amendment to make it legal. Um, but anyway... Yeah, and so smuggling and doing things to try and get th- out, you know, to get stuff to the United States or to get stuff to England or wherever else um, was huge at the time um, uh, because it was the way that you would dodge import and export. You know, it's the way you would dodge import and export tax. Um, and so revenue cutters are these boats that the United States government made and was essentially they were operated by the IRS, which at the time was a military wing. Um, it was before it was technically the IRS. Um and they would just hey, like go IRS and hunt down. Agents are still armed, so you know. That. <laughs> you know, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah, they would just go and they would hunt down. They would hunt down these these smugglers um, because these boats are super low to the ground. They're super fast and they have these huge sails. Uh, the Californian is the state boat of California, uh, or the state. I'm sorry, the state sailing ship of California. Um, and there are just these. Honestly, it is the cutest thing. 
it is just like you know how you talk about your like minis dads yeah, yeah. that like yeah yeah it's those Historical guys interest. but for but for boats basically right. right um they will just say the most boat shit that you've ever heard in your life and you can tell that like they don't need to say that right they don't actually need to like give orders in traditional like boat speak or whatever but they're having a great time doing it do you know what i mean yeah yeah the point is in the doing right like it's, yeah it's uh it's funny right you know we were talking before about like there's some controversy around internet historian uh, the YouTuber, mm -hmm. but he recently put out a video about wine that, like, a lot of it is kind of like, you know, making fun of, like, people who do wine tasting. But at the end of it, he's like, hey, you know, as much as I've been dumping on them, it's a fun thing to do, right? You could buy a pre-painted Warhammer miniature, but, like, the fun is in the doing, right? It's a similar type of thing, right? Like, the, yeah, the, the fun is in the doing and doing it right. Uh, Frankly, it reminds me almost a lot of D&D. It is, uh, or like LARPing, right? Uh, one of the things that when we went to Gen Con that one year and we did the LARP that I said was so fun about the LARP is you're in a group, it, it is sort of a willful mass hysteria is actually what how I would describe it. You and a group of people all get together and you collectively pretend that you're not in the basement of the Marriott in Indianapolis, you're space marines and you're landing on a, on a you know an uncharted planet that is overrun with terrible lizard creatures that are all like a, a, a ravenous devouring swarm hive mind right um the same thing is sort of true for this boat shit right these sailing dads they just want to larp being sailors okay that's all that's all that they want um and so you know talking about port starboard you know halyard and the different you know tagarn soul the top soul right like all this stuff it's just like that's all that's all it is for them. that was just like the great stuff plus honestly just like man california is like beautiful the Weather is fun. Tacking is super cool. Uh, I like. I, I did some boat stuff in Long Island Sound because we had my dad had these friends in Connecticut who had a who had a sailing ship there, um, and we would do stuff. Some you know like not even a ship, just like a tiny little boat. We would do like some boat stuff from time to time. Um, but doing it on this huge ship was actually really cool because you need a bunch of people all. Do, it's sort of the it's sort of the fun of like raiding in a way. Um, you have the captain in the back, right, who's on the helm, right? You have the, I guess it's the first mate who has the deck, and he is, like, giving out orders to people who are on different lines, all related to one sail, making sure that you can tack the boat from one side to the other without anybody getting hurt, but, like, you know, you're all, everyone's jockeying kind of their own sort of thing. And it's just like, oh, like, that's actually really cool and fun, right? Um, kind of being a part of that whole sort of unit. Anyway, so that was the, the second day. We went out on the, we went out on this, the you know, like, the Californian. Um, uh, and then there's just, like, a bunch of other boats in their harbor. The, the cool ones are, they have a submarine in there, the USS Dolphin. Did you ever go to the submarine in the Hackensack River, by the way, when you were a kid? Uh, which, what's the name of it? Oh, God, man. I, it's I gone now. I probably, uh, that sounds familiar. It sounds like a thing I did with the scouts. Uh, it was the USS Ling. Uh, the Alina. USS Ling was a naval submarine from World War II that was sailed up the Hackensack River and then, uh, sort of, you know, like dry docked there, basically. Uh, but his.
Is it gone now? Oh, it's still there, apparently, actually. But the Naval Museum where it was at closed. Oh, okay. um, in January 2007, uh, the, mu the museum closed. And so I guess the USS Ling is still there. It's not publicly accessible anymore. Um, oh, in, in 2018, artifacts from the submarine were stolen and the Ling was also flooded. Several people were identified in connection with the burglary. Okay. Well, whatever the case may be, I went to the USS Ling when I was a little kid. Um, because I thought that shit was cool as fuck. I think I might um, we went there too. for like a, yeah, we went there for like a boat thing. Um, there was also a submarine in, uh, San Diego, the USS Dolphin, which is the deepest diving submarine in the world. Not like submersible, but like actual, you know, sort of like ship submarine. Um, they had a, they had like a Vietnam era swift boat. Um, they had, uh, the other cool, the other super cool one was the, um, God, it's not called the Interceptor. What is it called? The HMS Surprise. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Master and Commander? No. Uh, the, in the movie Master and Commander, which is like Russell Crowe, uh, it's about like Napoleonic, the Napoleonic Wars, uh, like a, a, a naval ship in the Napoleonic Wars. Um, they apparently, I didn't even know this at the time, they bought a real English frigate uh, called the HMS Surprise uh, in order to, to shoot that movie. Uh, and that ship was then, I guess, sold or donated to the U.S. Naval History Museum, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the U.S. Uh, Maritime Museum. Um, and so you can just go there. It's a, it's like an accurate, you know, naval frigate from, you know, like English frigate from that time. It's, uh, so it's just like, anyway, it's just like a bunch of boats. That's what we really ended up doing in Very San Diego. Cool. Boat shit. It's cool. I'm going to have... A vaguely boat-related story in a couple of weeks. I am going to the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party uh, <gasps> in in Boston. Yeah, I managed to get. To, apparently, the tickets sold out within like an hour, and I managed to to snag a couple. So, um, I will have stories about that. But that sounds that sounds super cool. Um, uh, are you going to become a boat dad now? I am strongly considering becoming boat pilled. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Are you going, you, sh you should build your own boat and sail it through the Northwest Passage. Uh, just. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that actually would be cool. I, you know what I, you know what movie I saw recently? Hold on. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched like half of it because it's on YouTube for free and it just came up as part of, uh, as part of like my doomed boat scrolling. Um, uh, it is a 2013 movie. Um, directed by J.C. Chandor, um, who, do you remember the movie that I told you about, Margin Call, that yeah. was, like, an exceedingly weird movie about the 2008 financial crisis, right. but yeah. essentially from the people who caused the crisis? Um, All is Lost is a movie directed by the same guy, which is Robert Redford alone. There's, like maybe a hundred words spoken the entire time. It is about him sailing in the Indian ocean and his sailing ship impacts with a floating shipping uh, container, um, which is apparently a huge thing. Do you know about this? No. Yeah. This is a thing I w ended up looking to like understand. Um, shipping containers fall off of cargo ships all the time. And most of the time they are airtight and they're actually buoyant. They're pretty buoyant. Um, and so in the specifically the Pacific Oceans where like most of these are, there are just floating shipping containers 
all over the all over the place, right? Uh, anyway, the shipping container rams his his sailing ship. It causes a huge hole. It starts flooding. All this other stuff. Then there's a then there's a huge storm. Um, and it's just like it's just like one. It's like a man against nature. You know, one guy trying to survive, sort of thing. It's very cool. It's on YouTube. Totally free. Go watch it. I wonder. Now you've got my my brain going. So I wonder what the like because it's international waters. I wonder what the legality of like recovering one of those is right like can i like you know commission a boat and go out and like pick up shipping containers and crack them open and be like oh boy ten thousand ipads i'm rich um yeah i mean i think the answer is probably the reason that i got down this this train was because a cargo ship docked i want to say it was like washington or something i saw a post on reddit about this it's like a cargo ship docked on reddit and you can see where rough seas had caused the stacks to topple Right. right. Um, and somebody was just like, oh, my God, there's going to be like 800 shipping containers just floating out in the ocean. Right. And somebody was like, yeah, that's the plot of this fucking movie. All is lost. And I was like, oh, OK. And then I went go to go watch this. Uh, movie. Oh, my God. What? There are so many more of these than I thought. There are 20 million shipping containers of different varieties all across the world. That's so many. Is it 20 million varieties or 20 million total containers? 20 million total containers, yeah. Of like that that standard container that you yeah. you, you know, like know of, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know at one point, I think it was Google. Um, uh, again, disclosure, right? Work for Google, but not in any capacity related to this. Um, at one point, I, I don't think it's true anymore. They would like take shipping containers and like build server farms out of them. Because it was like cheaper to do it that way than to like you know try and get rid of the shipping container, um, you could do like retrofit it with like cooling or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, no, they're like I, I know know that they're that's actually so. Um, speaking of which, at a at a company party, we were I, I work in um, in the Boston area, and we had a a company event at like one of the ports, and like they had like an event space in like an old warehouse. But it's across from uh, a shipyard, and they were actively loading a ship. And so, like, you know, a bunch of us engineers got, like, a nerd's knife. We're just sitting there, like, watching these cranes moving and placing these giant shipping containers, like, you know, like, 30 tall on top of it. And just, like, thinking about, like, you know, talking to each other about, like, you know, the logistics involved. Because it's crazy, right? Like, it is, uh, you know, it's fucking nuts. You don't think about it, but, like, that, this is the way the world works, right? Like, you know. Um, Approximately 12,000 shipping containers are lost in the world's oceans. The, honestly, the scale, the, like the scale of this, truly boggles my mind sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, there's, yeah. this, there's that meme, right? Like about, um, I'm sure you've seen it. It's like a, a photo of a, um, of a, like a, like pears, I think, in fruit or in, in, in juice. It's like pears or peaches. And it says... It's somebody in the United States, and it says, grown in, like, Argentina and packaged in Thailand, right? And so, and, like, the map is, like, you know, grown in Argentina, is shipped to Thailand to be packaged, and is shipped back to the United States to be sold. Um, and, like, the economics make sense because, you know, cargo ships are super cheap. Um, Thailand apparently eats tons and tons of prepackaged fruit. Right, like much more than we do. So like most of it gets sold there, and it makes more sense to ship it all to Thailand, package it, sell most of it there, but then send a portion of it back across the Pacific to sell in the United States. Right. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, it's just like, there are some, I, I never understood this scale until I moved to California, uh, because in the East Coast, everything is 10 miles apart, um, which is a relic of sort of the colonial era, where towns and cities are typically about 10 miles apart, because that's the amount of time someone can be expect or the amount that someone could be expected to travel in a day, right? If I am walking, or I'm on a horse, and I go 10 miles in a day, um, I'm probably pretty pretty tuckered and so the idea is that you know you all of if you just look around right all of these like little towns in maryland you know pennsylvania new jersey right they're all like they're all like like 10 miles apart california is like the opposite of that right california you could go miles and miles and miles without seeing another like town right um or you might see like just like a shop in the middle of nowhere and you're like where does this, where does like the clerk for this shop like live? And the answer is that person probably lives 30 or 40 miles away because they just drive, right? Like they have a car, there's a highway, they just drive on the highway. Um, most of California kind of gets like, um, outside of obviously stuff in Northern California, there's like gold rush stuff. Um, most of California sort of comes alive with the advent of the automobile um, and modern water infrastructure right um being able to essentially make desert cities is something that only has happened in the in you know kind of the the 20th century basically um and a thought that occurred to me that sort of like really fucked my brain is just how much open empty space there is in california because it's just not true in in New Jersey, if I'm going a couple of towns over, which is a pretty common thing, right? You know, I'm I live in Morristown. I want to head over to you know I don't know Randolph, right? Um, don't like I'm passing I'm passing by a couple of little towns along the way, right? Um, or you know if I if I'm in Maplewood and I'm going to Randolph, right? Like those are probably forty miles apart. Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of a bunch of little towns on the way. But like if I live in Bakersfield and I'm going to go to Fresno, right? There are just going to be parts where I'm driving along highway and there's nothing to either side of me. Or it's it's or like it'll be farmland. It's actually very commonly yeah. that it'll just be like raw farmland for hours and hours and hours. Um, or I'm sorry, miles and miles and miles. Um, and uh, and I don't know that that thought fucks with me. I think about you know I've been playing a lot of Solaris recently and I think about the Ecumenopolis. Okay, which is like the city planet. You can turn a planet into an ecumenopolis with a special kind of, you invest a bunch of resources into it, um, and it turns the planet into essentially Coruscant, right? It is the the way that Stellaris gamifies uh, Coruscant from Star Wars, right? A planet that is entirely a city. Um, or Trantor from the Foundation series is also um, is also this. And, um, and just like thinking of the scale of that truly boggles my mind and is hard to comprehend because uh, it's just like the population density is it the amount of people is like you can't you can't yeah, process like you can't get that city, in your brain right like yeah. in, in, uh, in yes yeah, yeah 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 no i mean like you know just thinking about like i don't know i i i, I always know that like like the I, I think I think our brains just like don't handle numbers of people because like I have seen like like large portions of like you know New York City or Boston or Chicago from the air and like mm. all things considered it really doesn't feel like it's all or like San Francisco right like it's like I can see the edges of it right like I have in a very ill-advised move I once walked from like the northern edge of San Francisco all the way down to um, 
all the way down to like uh, uh, out of the city into the North Bay. It's like Culver City, I think, not Culver City. Um, uh, uh, anyway, the point there was a theater I was meeting some friends at, and I was like, I can walk this, and I was like, you know, a seven mile, seven to ten mile walk, right? Like you know, like you said, I was pretty pooped by the end of it, but like. It's like that's it. That's that's a coverable distance, but that's like you know, a million people, right? Like um, in that area, it's it, it, it kind of like defies um, intuition, I guess is the way to put it, right? Like the, the number of people, at least in my mind, the number of people that should fit in the space feels a lot smaller. Like it feels like there should be less people in that space than there actually is. Maybe that's a consequence of like growing up in the suburbs, right? Where like you know. I know on like this acre there were like four people at once, right? With my family, like, you know, my the family um, growing up, and so it's like my mind is set to like four people an acre as reasonable, but it's like you know so much more dense than that in in the more urban spots, and so much more less. Than I that. have I have googled this tiny and found a crazy article. I just want to read this out because it is entirely what we're talking about. The this is from BBC Science Focus, I guess, which is a I don't know, like a website or something. And the question is, will the Earth ever become a city planet? And somebody says we're probably not going to have to worry about overpopulation anytime soon. Um, and he says, Coruscant, which is the city planet of the Star Wars Galactic Empire, right? Um, supposedly has a population of three trillion people. Okay, four hundred thirty times Earth's current population, three trillion people. But even this many people wouldn't be enough to create a proper city planet on the planet Earth, okay? To give all of Earth's landmass the same population density as Tokyo, which would actually make quite a lot of sense. Have you ever seen any Tokyo maps, uh, like, superpositioned on other stuff? Because those are wild and will also fuck with you um to give all of earth's landmass the same population density as tokyo um you would need 895 trillion people or 300 coruscants even the more pessimistic projections from the un suggest that the earth's population will peak at less than 100 billion people by the end of the century so spread across all the land area on the planet uh that would give the world an average population density lower than that of some random town in uh new england or in i'm sorry in england which like yeah okay that fucks with me yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, this is like you know the um maddie iglesias like one billion americans thing right like you know, oh yeah we've got we've got the space right you know it's just like mm -hmm. apportioned all weird right um we like parks i guess um uh listen i enjoy i enjoy a good national park okay uh yeah, or you know, parks in like a lot. Of, you know that like government owns, I think like eighty percent of the land in Nevada. I want to say. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like federal. It's the federal government, and yeah. the Nevada state government really hates it. Apparently, they have all these clashes in court about it all the time. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it is, it is funny. Like, so I, um, I don't think I've talked much about this in the podcast, but I follow the Supreme Court stuff, and like. States will get like with each so federal government the state just usually kind of like loses because of the supremacy of the federal government but like um, um, whenever a state conflicts with another state the court of original jurisdiction where it's first heard is the Supreme Court um, and so like there's always a couple of cases each term that's like Florida getting mad at Georgia because they're like doing something with the water and the waters flows like waters of the United States is like a whole area of law. Because, oh, yeah. Because, like, the water flows from Georgia through Florida, and the people of Florida are like, our clam harvest is negatively effective by, like, you, like, you know, diverting water to, you know, 
uh, do f irrigation somewhere in Georgia or something like that. So it's it's all it's always a huge uh, a huge thing. Yeah, I, I got really deep into that on the Colorado River because the L.A. Times uh, did like a huge not like an expose, but just like a report where basically they were talking about all of the crazy water rights um, that go into uh, the that go into the Colorado River. Um, and how, because it obviously affects a lot of Southern California, um, because the Colorado river runs essentially yeah. right, right between California and, uh, Arizona. But by the time that it gets to Cal California, it dries up kind of completely. And that's before it even, you know, it's supposed to get to Mexico, right? The Colorado yeah. river is supposed to get to Mexico and empty out into the Gulf of Mexico. But yeah. And, and then there's, um, this also interacts with native American rights a lot. Cause like native Americans typically have like a very permissive um, right to uh, fish the waters. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if it's universal or if it's just with certain tribes, but like, um, so there's a, there's a question of like how much the EPA can like stop the tribes from doing certain fishing activities, right? Like um, uh, for like various good or not reasons. Um, but you know, that, that that's another thing, right? Cause like the, you know, the, the tribes are like a semi-sovereign. -so -semi there was, um, ugh. There was a, I can't remember the full context. There was a case last term about where like some act said like all governments, foreign and domestic, and whether or not a native, the native American, the tribe, the government of the, of the tribes counted cause they are not, they're like quasi foreign. And so they're not foreign or domestic, but they're like a kind of like halfway state. And so this is like a very kind of like, you know, like this is pure like semantics stuff. Right, it's like, you know, well, they didn't say that, but like, does the phrase foreign, all governments, foreign or domestic, encompass the tribes? Right, like, you know, there's a yeah, whole there's also a question of like diplomacy, right? Um, that was a that was the whole thing that I remember we in high school when we talked about like history and like the Native Americans and stuff like that. Um, that the thing that defines a nation state is not sort of um you know it, it is sort of it's sort of relative right it's diplomacy right? right it is your ability to engage diplomatically with your peers around the world right um and native americans don't really have that capability but they do diplomatically coexist like they do diplomatically relate with the united states the united, when the united states are dealing with native american nations they're almost always using treaties right yeah um in order to kind of describe those relations um and um and i think that that is it it, it was just like i think it was like an essay i wrote you know it's like are the native americans a, a real tribe because you could or a real nation because you could say that well no they don't have this definition because there's no spanish ambassador to the navajo nation right um but at the same time when the U.S. deals with the Navajo Nation, they deal with it as if they are dealing with a foreign country. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just like one of those things. It's like, you know, I mean, and it's interesting because you've been probably like tough to parse. You've probably got a better case today than you did, um, you know, uh, when you wrote that paper, um, because yeah. um, you know, quite famously, um, uh, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch is like this is like his bread and butter he dealt with it a lot when he was on the um the colorado district court i think um or that circuit and so he's very like he's very favorable like he's he has a deep understanding of the law and he tends to be favorable towards them like um a couple terms ago he basically half of um half of oklahoma basically 
reverted to tribal land status because it was like part of a treaty that like got challenged in court and that, that got cut back for like enforcement reasons because there was like problems about charging crimes and also the composition of the court so they choose. But i don't need to go into the politics of that right now um but like you know um you know they've got a strong advocate in the judiciary at least um at this point uh okay here okay <laughs> you know fair enough here's here's my here's my question mango um for your for your law your legal sort of purview is it okay for asmongold the streamer with no intentions of playing on an rp pvp server to designate that the rp pvp server in the new wow classic launch to be uh, to be you know uh, to have a character named Asmongold, I think in on that on that server because he got banned for it by Blizzard Entertainment because he didn't have an RP name on an RP PvP server, but the ban got appealed. <laughs> uh, so you know, um, like the real answer is Blizzard writes their terms of service so vague that basically they can be like can, they can make up a reason and say, oh, <laughs> okay, right, like like. It is is interesting because, like you know, terms of service are super broad, but like, yeah, basically, like consumer reputation and norms keep them from like you know, being as extreme, like you know, because you know, if you really wanted to like be like a dick bag about it, right? Like you could like cancel everything, and the reason they do this is so like you know, if you know, if Blizzard shuttered for some reason, that they could like discontinue service and not like have outstanding debt to the players that they, uh, you know, that that paid for like a longer subscription or something, but. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like, you know, what do I think the right norm is there? Um, I don't know if you've got Asmongold on stream saying, I'm not going to RP on the server, then I think that's fair game. Although I don't know, I'm on an RP PVP server. I don't really RP. <laughs> Right. You have you have a good RP name, yeah. Yeah, no, that's I don't know. It's, I was just, <laughs> I just thought that was like funny because like hey, you, there were all these people like arguing this shit in the fucking comments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, it's up to it's up to Blizzard to make these sorts of things. And I think really what happened is he got mass flagged, right? There were just yeah. like a bunch of haters, right, who flagged his name and the automation because Blizzard will do stuff where they will um, if if a ton of people report something, they will hit, they will kind of freeze the account. Um, and then sort of info, do enforcement later just to, like, you yeah, know, yeah, ensure nothing, nothing is going on. Yeah. I mean, but, like, outside, in, in a vacuum, right, if I didn't know who Asmongold was, right, Asmongold is not a bad RP name, right? Like, yeah. I can see that being, like, a real, real, real RP name. Honestly, I feel like a lot of streamers, like, have that. You know, like, you could get, like, Pokimane or, you know, um, yeah, Poke even, like, Hasanabi or, like. I would say, like, Pokimane's a little bit pushing it just because Poke, it's clearly a play on Pokemon. Right, rather than like, you know, like uh, it's its own name, right? But sure, but yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's I guess a, a, a complicated segue to the thing I have been doing with my with well, my week, which is playing Wild Classic Season of Discovery. Before you oh, get sorry, to that, I, I yeah, the, the because since we're heading towards the backup, I do want to hit um the one other big thing I did this week, which is go to Pax Unplugged. Oh um, yeah, tell me all about it. Okay, so. Uh, Philadelphia is terrible. Um, always is, always will be. Um, but, uh, I, it wasn't particularly terrible this time. It's just kind of like, um, it was the worst PAX experience I have had. Not to say it was bad, right? There were a couple of things that were aggravating, but what it really made me appreciate is how well run Gen Con is. Um, uh, because like, so, um, 
I think part of the problem here is that packs east and west are like primarily video game events, and a lot of what you do is you like you know there are some panels, but like they're not they're, typically it's not like you know like so you have to line up for some of them, but they're like kind of like high demand events. Um, uh, but like usually you're like standing in line at like a booth on the exhibition floor, right? Like if I wanted to, if, if I'm going to PAX, it's like go to say the Acapara booth and play the Australia demo, right? Sure. Um, at a tabletop gaming convention, that is significantly different, right? Like there's the amount of time I will spend wandering the exhibition hall floor, but I probably want to do like pre-scheduled events, right? And the way that Gen Con handles this is for everything, not just kind of like the high demand ones, they will sell you tickets. Um, sometimes they're free, sometimes they cost you a couple of bucks, but they do that like three months before Gen Con happens. You set up your shopping cart, you hit a button, and you get your events, and you know exactly what you're going to do. Do you know what PAX does? What PAX Unplugged does? I, I assume this is no, the other no. ones, but like, you know, it's less demand. The 8 a.m. the day of, you have to click a fucking button and be the first person to, to like get it. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's like a fucking madhouse. Uh, and, you know, it is totally impractical. Um, basically, all the seats fill for all the events, especially the, like there are a couple like I looked at I, I was up on time. I grabbed a couple of events I played. I played a couple of different games. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I went and looked. It was like, I, you know, it was like I got it my 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. event. It was like I looked at like, oh, maybe I'll do something this afternoon. Everything was filled except for like, like, you no, know, there were a couple slots open on like the miniatures game where you brought your own army, right? And obviously I'm not prepared to do that. So um, uh, it's like those were the only things that were open. It's just kind of like how are you – like if you want to do two things in a day, you're probably not going to be able to because like all the slots are going to be filled out, right? Like you, you, you have to like pick something and hope to get it. Um, uh, and then on top of that, they don't have like a super good way to like target individual events. Like so um, I played uh, – uh, the, the group that was putting it on is called Gehenna Games. They were very well done. I got the same Dungeon Master both times. Um, I will actually give him a shout-out in a second because he was a good Dungeon Master. Um, but uh, um, basically, I signed up for, like, two pools of games, and I had to show up on foot and check in to get a game, right? Like, I signed up for a World of Darkness block, and when I got there, the only slots left were for Hunter the Reckoning. I was happy to play Hunter the Reckoning. I really liked it. But, like, you know, I couldn't even, like, target Vampire or Werewolf if I wanted to. I had to not only hit it at 8 o'clock, but also get to the door on time. And also, on top of that, just... So th this aggravated me more than anything else. The way the con is set up is the Pennsylvania Convention Center has an entrance that's like two blocks away from the main body of the convention center. You, you go end up going over, um, it's called the, the Reading Terminal Market. Um, you go over the top of it, like you walk up the stairs, you go over the top of it, that's where all the, the security booths are. Um, and then you walk over and then you walk back down the stairs, right? And so my hotel was like attached to the convention center, but they weren't letting people in through it. So I'd walk past a set of doors that said they wouldn't open until 11, right? When they had like less volume. And then I would be like, okay, and I would walk south two blocks. Um, I don't know if it was south, but I, I would walk <coughs> two blocks away and go up the set of stairs. And by the time I got back to where I was, they'd have opened the door like, you know, two hours early, right? It was just like super frustrating. Um, it's also like Gen Con doesn't have like real security, right? Like they made us go through like metal detectors. 
Um, they always do at PAX. And it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's because Indianapolis doesn't care as much. But, like, they let people walk the halls in between the convention. You know, in like, they let people walk the convention center hall without a badge. And, like, they just, like, won't let you play any games or go into the exhibition hall. Um, which I wow. think is a much superior model, right? Like, again, made me appreciate PAX so much. Or not PAX. Gen Con so much more. Just because this game was... Uh, or this 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 con was just like, you know, felt like it was a little disheveled. It was trying to put the wrong model on the wrong thing. But um, the games I played were uh, Ragnarok or Gods of Metal Ragnarok, which I think you would have appreciated the theming of at least. Um, imagine you, you we played Mask of the Luchador at Gen Con. It's kind of like imagine like like the similar kind of like take a bunch of tropes from this pop culture thing. In this case, you know, metal. I turned it into an RPG. Mechanics were a little wonky, but the GM was good. And then I played Hunter the Reckoning, which is a super fun, um, super fun thing. It's like the vampire. It's the world's darkness. It's the same world as Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf, uh, the Awakening, I think. Um, but uh, you're normal humans, and uh, you have to um, uh, you have to like deal with supernatural stuff. Um, but I did want to shout out the GM. I had the same GM for both games. Um, he is part of a group on, uh, on YouTube called the Emporium for Wayward Gamers. I will put links. They have a YouTube, they have a Twitch and he is, uh, Neofet. Um, I will put links in the description. I just want to give him a shout out. And if you like small creators, uh, I guess, you know, go check him out. Um, but yeah, you were going to talk about, uh, oh, one other thing. I know this isn't April Fool's yet, but I think Philly cheesesteaks are overrated. Uh, in the sense, Oof. okay, okay. Well, how do you feel about a? Do you know about true Philly cheesesteaks with cheese whiz, a whiz whiz or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah, my my father in law is from from Philadelphia, and so when we'll talk about cheese whiz, like, there's a difference between a fake Philly cheesesteak, which just has you know whatever cheese, provolone, Swiss, whatever, um, and a true Philly cheesesteak where the cheese is cheese whiz. I mean, the standard options are American provolone and cheese whiz, and I like provolone, so I usually get provolone. But um, I also think that, like, like cheesesteaks, my, my, my fundamental take is that a cheesesteak is not, like, special, right? Like, I can make just as good a cheesesteak in my kitchen upstairs as I can get in Philadelphia, right? And it's not a thing, like, you know, getting an authentic one doesn't improve the quality by any measurable margin um uh that that is okay well you heard it here first we're gonna have to talk about i don't know cheese cheese steak on the next some derp talk about food do you do you you have do you have an opinion about cheesesteaks are you gonna hold it back i yeah i like cheesesteaks just fine i think cheesesteaks are pretty trashy uh you know like Like i eat it i eat a (laughs) cheese i eat a cheesesteak when i feel gross and i just want to eat garbage but you know, whatever, like, that's, that's true for... You, you just, like, you know, sit down at your table in just, like, a, you know, a, a, you know, a wife beater, nothing else, you know, a wife beater in shorts, just like, oh, I got, I have my cheese. Yeah, 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 like that. You know, it's like, I don't know, there's, there's some foods that I think are classier, you know, like, or, like, some regional foods, I guess I would say, are, that are, that are, like, classier. Um, like, a bagel is classier. A bagel at, like, a Jewish deli or something right. like that, right? Like, a, bo- a boiled New York bagel. That is a, that is, like, a classy sort of regional food not not like classy in the sense of like high dining right it's not like a filet mignon or whatever but it's like a i don't know it's it's not it doesn't feel it doesn't make me feel like trash to eat it i feel like fucking garbage when i eat a cheesesteak buddy i just think it it is like <laughs> you know shoveling that stuff into my gullet basically have, um have you and you know italian hot dog 
Uh, the yeah, the one that's like uh, with the in the in the Pizza in bread. the bun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Buffs, if you this is the is the famous one, because like that's like I think that's like a very unique thing. Like I think that's like unique and delicious thing, but it's definitely trash food. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like. I mean, that's true for like Taylor Ham, right? Like, yeah. I love Taylor Ham. We've talked about Taylor Ham making yeah, cheese, yeah. but Taylor Ham is just salt, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Taylor Ham is basically spam, but like, you know, yeah. regional to New Jersey. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I don't know. Those, that's my that's my opinion about a Philly cheesesteak. If, if I'm having a bad day, okay, I'm going to eat a Philly cheesesteak to feel a little better about myself <laughs> just because it's tasty, uh, but it's garbage. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, you were going to talk about WoW. I'm sorry. I was going to talk about WoW Season of Discovery. Okay, so I talked about this at just at um, BlizzCon, um, and uh, and it has it has arrived. So here's the story with WoW Classic Season of Discovery. Um, in WoW, they released WoW Classic, the original version, no changes, right? Hashtag no changes. Something that the community sort of asked for. Um, ended up spawning a bunch of really dubious. I don't want to say illegitimate behavior. It's not really illegitimate, but right, like it's just like the the uh, that game function functioning in a modern context makes for an incredibly warped sort of gameplay experience, and a lot of changes ended up hitting the game. Uh, I'm sorry, a, a lot of differences ended up hitting the game because of how people were interfacing with a 2004 product in 2019, right? This is the year that WoW Classic releases. Uh, they eventually do Burning Crusade, Wrath of the Lich King. Both of these kind of come pretty pretty quickly, right? Um, kind of back to back. Um, and in the meantime, they, re they keep that WoW Classic sort of thing alive with... Wild Classic Season of Mastery. Season of Mastery is like some changes, right? Where they uh, they kind of take a look at sort of the way that some basic stuff happens in, you know, like the overall sort of like Warcraft model um, and make some changes just kind of for balance reasons, um, for, you know, just to like give people sort of an extra level of sort of like viability that they don't normally get to enjoy, right? That kind of thing. Um... Then we get WoW Classic Hardcore, right? Where, you know, it's like Diablo. If you die in game, you die forever, right? Uh, uh, yeah, you die, yeah, you die, you die in real life. Um, classic Hardcore was very people seem to go really crazy for it. Honestly, Twitch streamers seem, apparently went super crazy for it. Uh, huge Twitch streamers who aren't normally like WoW affiliated, like uh, XQC, uh, has been a WoW Classic Hardcore gamer. <laughs> that giant thing is never not going to be fucking funny. <laughs> Um, and then the most recent iteration is called Season of Discovery. Now, here's here are the sort of rules and goals of Seasons of Discovery. Wild Classic Season of Discovery caps the level at 25, right? It remakes the dungeon, Black Fathom Depths, right, uh, BFD, to be a 10-man raid environment, um, including new, like, items and all this other sort of shit. Um, and it introduces a new system called runes, okay? And here's how runes work. Uh, you have your gear, you have a rune, you can engrave a rune for a gear slot on that slot of gear. So if I have a leg rune that says whatever, I can engrave that leg rune on my legs and then I can change that engraving kind of whatever, right? It's like switching talents in retail. You can just change your, your sort of rune setup. Every class gets 12 runes uh, spread through hands, chest, and legs, I think. And, like, runes are mutually exclusive. You can't have two leg runes. You can only do one leg rune kind of thing. Um, 
Uh, and the runes themselves typically pull from uh, sort of modern WoW for, uh, for in inspiration, right? So the best example of this might be paladins who famously auto-attack. Right, like that's all that they do in classic. There is no, there's no sort of rotation to paladins outside of just keep your seal up and auto attack. Right, um, paladins get crusader strike. They get a button to press that deals damage. Okay, cool, very fun. Right, um, and then a bunch of other stuff. Right, so affliction warlocks will get haunt, which is like the affliction warlock ability. You put haunt on a target and it you know, kind of soaks up a bunch of extra, like, it amplifies your dot damage, basically. Uh, Warlocks will also get Chaos Bolt, right? Um, which is the the big um, uh, Warlock spell for destruction Warlocks. Chaos Bolt is, you know, like, the most powerful spell in the game. It always crits. It penetrates all sort of, like, resistances, all this other sort of stuff. Um, so generally speaking, but then there's also, like, passive effects, right? Warriors have an ability that says, every time a target takes bleed damage, you gain three rage. Okay, cool. Yeah, like now my warrior is I, I can I can fund him with tons and tons of rage gain all the time, all that stuff, right? But the most interesting thing about the rune system is the way you acquire runes. So the first rune you get is typically just like a basic quest to introduce you to the system. You know, mine for warriors was go to the back of this mine, there's a chest, loot the chest. There's a rune inside, right? And it gives you the very first rune of the game, essentially. Um, for warriors, this is Victory Rush. Um, but the interesting thing is when you start getting out from there and all of the runes are these like little secrets dotted throughout the map. I want to talk about some of them, but I also sort of like don't want to spoil them. Don't like yeah, I don't want to I don't want to spoil them because part of what has been so fun about Classic Season of Discovery um, is is uncovering the way to get these runes, to get these runes individually, right? Um, all of the runes that I have picked up have been because I sort of followed a rabbit hole, right? Uh, I guess I will include a, a tiny disclaimer, right? If you don't care about a warrior rune, um, don't like, don't worry about it. So here's here's what happened. I'm playing with a couple of people, right? I'm playing with a bunch of friends of the cast, right? Like Lou or Rahe, right? Um, the runes, uh, and the rune and the rune system, uh, a lot of the time it'll just like start with like an out of the ordinary breadcrumb that you don't recognize. Because one of the things that's crazy about World of Warcraft is like, we've been doing this content for, I have quested through Elwynn Forest a million times. I know it's in the Fargo Deep Mine. I know it's in the Django Load Mine, right? The runes create a disrupting piece to that because they create this extra thing that I'm not prepared for, right? Um, which is what is, you know, fun and engaging about it. Um, and so what ended up happening, we were going, we were going through quest, uh, Westfall. We get out of Elwynn Forest. We go to Westfall. In Westfall, I kill a murloc. We, we're just like on, on the top coast of Westfall. There's some murlocs there, and I happen to kill one. And a hammer drops. And the hammer is called Gillsbane. And it has the flavor text, can sometimes trap the souls of slain murlocs. And I was like, what the, well, what the fuck is this? Okay, so we, we equip Gillsbane. And then we go and we start killing murlocs. And nothing's happening at first. And you're just like, okay, like, is, do, is there is there like another piece of this? Do I have to like look around to click something? But then eventually I kill a murloc. Oh, and what's this in my inventory? Soul of the Sea, right? This other 
thing. It's a little gem, right? Um, and it has a use effect. I can click it and it highlights my cursor and I can use it on stuff. And I'm just clicking stuff to try and use it to see if it'll work with anything, but nothing works. It always fizzles, right? And I'm just like, man, like what the fuck is this soul of the sea? Okay, fast forward a whole bunch of time. I just have this sitting in my inventory and I'm thinking about it. I'm just like, I wonder what, I really wonder what else kind of happens here. Um, we're doing some other quests along the coast and all of a sudden, in party chat, Lou types in all caps, Baird, come over here, right? And I walk over and there's this statue that I've never seen before, right? That is called Idol of the Sea. And it's a statue and I can like mouse over it, right? And I walk up to it and I take the, the soul of the sea and I activate it and I use it on the Idol of the Sea and it spawns a, like a level 20, essentially rare, but not quite a rare, really. We would say that in modern terms. Like a level 20, like, mob, and I kill that mob and I get a rune out of killing that. It's like, this is the stuff, and it's so cool, right? Um, there's obviously 12 different runes, and there's just, like, a bunch of them that you find in these different sorts of ways. Um, and I was just, like, I was having the time of my life uh, basically all weekend uh, going hard, going hard on this stuff. We did a bunch of very classic you know, wow, nostalgia stuff. We did Dead Mines, um, which was very hard because we did it super underleveled. Um, I was, you know, like I was tanking. I was barely getting any rage for Thunderclap, all of this other sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> we ended up trying to do SFK, Shadowfang Keep, which ended up being insanely hard because Shadowfang Keep is a... Um, I don't know, it's just like a dungeon that's like up there or whatever. Uh, but I'm level 22 now. We're going through the... I don't know, we're going through the whole process. I've it, It's been... This is this is wow classic. It's been super fun. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that is, that is, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I'm gonna, probably gonna end up playing for the next uh, couple of couple of weeks because I really want to do the raid. Uh, and the other thing is that they've essentially promised that the level cap is going to increase over time, right? Um, so right now it's 25, which has a really interesting effect where like. A dungeon like the Dead Mines is an end game dungeon for WoW Season of Discovery, right? Um, which is not really, you know, like that's not really like happened before. A dungeon like Shadowfang Keep is an end game dungeon, right? You can get best in slot, quote unquote, gear going into the raid by farming Shadowfang Keep, that kind of a thing. Um, and uh, and I don't know, that's just that's very fun. It's very like unique and stuff like that. Um, and I've just been having, I don't know, I've just been having a good time. My goal is to clear the raid at least once, right? Um, see all of, you know, Black Fathom Deeps kind of beginning to uh, beginning to end. Um, and then I'll probably come back whenever they release the next update to the, to the level cap. Uh, where basically it's all but confirmed they are adding a new set of runes for a new armor slot. So there will be a fourth rune, right? Um, the level cap will be increased to 40, uh, and there will be a new raid, which is Gnomrigon. So, all that. Is there anything that you, do you have? For do you have any interest in, uh, in, in any of this? Maybe. <laughs> like, um, like, do you get anything for retail out of it? Like, you get, like, Mog or anything out of it? No. Yeah, um, I wish. They would never do that, but I wish. You don't think they'd ever do that? Uh, I don't know. They'll do it with, like, bundles and stuff. Like, when you, you know, uh, for the Cataclysm bundle, you can get a, a special mount, like a like a store mount, basically. But I don't think that... Uh, I, I To be fair, I would like them to. Um, one of the things I've always sort of wanted, or I would, I would want, is my stuff in Classic 
to kind of collections wise translate to retail right yeah uh, no, so I'm, for instance like the case right like that, that that feels like a no-brainer right like yeah like the thing the thing the the example i would use is um specifically around is content that's cut right uh so for instance um you know there, there's a lot of appearances in old classic that got kind of overwritten because of how cataclysm worked um and they're you know like they're no longer there right it would be nice if those could get you know, translated sort of over. Uh, another good example would be Mist of Pandaria, the Mist of Pandaria legendary cloak quest line. Um, you know, I never, I never did that quest line because I didn't, um, I didn't play very much in in Pandaria, and so um, you know, a, a version of things where I play a bunch of Mist of Pandaria classic, I do a bunch of raiding in Mist of Pandaria classic, um, and you know that translates to the you know the legendary quote the the legendary cloak questline rewards getting kind of like updated right like now all of a sudden i have the legendary cloak transmog in retail that'd be cool yeah you know what like i said i'm surprised that's not the case uh already that seems like it should be um yeah i'm really interested to see how far they go there are some changes already planned for cataclysm which is the next like you know era server right the the uh uh where they add in like the new kind of expansion. Um, but we're now getting out of the golden age, right? The golden age of wow is that, you know, classic TBC wrath, of the Lich King. Um, and you, I could see people make argument, like real arguments that you're going to fundamentally change aspects of this, this game. Right. Um, and in the future, right? Like, I feel like it's going to end up right. Like when I think of modern expansions, Legion, Battle for Azeroth, um, you know, uh, Shadowlands, right? There are so many features in there that are widely hated, right? Are they going to change the way that those features uh, interact on launch? Uh, maybe. We'll see, you know? Like, you, you can imagine a version of Shadowlands Classic that where, like, you can just swap covenants from day one, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I could also, be like, you know, imagine a version of this where, like, um, you know, they just, like, you know, they, if Season of Discovery is super successful, they just, like, make, like, you know, a divergent timeline, essentially. Um, it's more classic-like, right? Like, I can see that being popular, right? Um, yeah, Season of Discovery has been insanely successful, uh, at least to my, you know, at least to my understanding and my knowledge. Um, like, if I were to go to Twitch right now, let me, let me just, like, take a look at Browse. Yeah, World of Warcraft is the fifth, is in the top five, right? Um, and these are all Season of Discovery players, right? Shroud is playing. Um, oh, actually, Max is up there, Liquid Max. He's playing, obviously, um, uh... He's playing um, retail, right? Uh, but I don't know. Just like it seems like most of these folks are playing, uh, are are playing season discovery for classic. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, no, I'm I, I'm just curious to see what what happens with it. Um, just because like I could also see it being like a testing or like I could see that rune stuff coming over in like you know that tech being used in retail somehow, right? Like. Um, I know, I know you had mentioned before that, like, there, there was some, like, are there, are the runes that, like, enable, like, you know, like, I think you said there was, like, a, like a, like a fundamentally different type of spec on certain classes or something like that? Well, yep, correct. Uh, so, for instance, Warlocks, Rogues, and Shaman all have tanking specs that are activated by using a specific rune. So, Warlocks, the famous one, is Warlocks have a metamorphosis, right, which turns them into sort of the metaform, um, and they are then, they then become melee tanks. Um, uh, so, they're basically which like is, druids, but, but yeah. warlock form, yeah. 
Very cool. Yeah, and so just with one rune, you know, you can make a you can make a, a warlock tank, which which folks have been pretty excited about, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I have yet to see any of that, just because we've been discovering the runes without you know without spoilers, basically. Right. Um, and so I've been tanking for the group, but my intention is to swap over to arms, right? Like a two-handed sort of arms build, which has never really been possible in classic for a variety of reasons. Uh, just you know, I don't know stuff like that. I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, yeah. Um, on my end, I, I played a tiny bit of the new Diablo season. I guess it's midway through at this point. It's in like mid-January. Um, there's some cool stuff there. I could see myself getting into it if I cared enough. I rolled a, um, a druid just because. Um, uh, I don't think I'll go back to it, though. But they uh, they released the Street Fighters uh, Costume 3 for all the main cast. Um, and a lot of them are really good bangers. I would encourage people to look them up. Of course, my, my boy Zangief gets like a suit um and it's like it's supposed to be like people in, it's supposed to be people like in their not normal times like reuse like wearing like like hangout clothes and zangief is like when he's like reading in his study or whatever um <laughs> i'm seeing it now actually that's pretty funny yeah no i am i am so excited for uh i'm, I'm actually after this going to go buy all that because uh, i have not been home um, but like Marissa got her wedding dress costume, um, Manon got like a really nice, um, like almost Napoleonic looking soldier's costume. Um, mm -hmm. uh, people are saying that uh, Lily's uh, costume, which has like a sombrero, um, is like should have been her default because um, her like basic one makes her look like a, like a little kid and it's a little bit weird. She's got like big ponytails. Um, but uh, uh, people are, uh, uh, you know. Uh, you know, people are very satisfied with these costumes. I think the only one people don't like maybe is Luke's, and that's just because it's kind of like his old Street Fighter V costume. Um, I don't know who Luke is in Street Fighter. So Luke came in at the end of Street Fighter V, and the idea is is he is, like, the new Ryu. Of course, this didn't work because Ryu is always the Ryu, but he's supposed to be, like, the new face, right? Him and Jamie are supposed to be the new Ryu and Ken. Um and kind of like spirit, right? Like they're the next generation. Um, okay. Uh, but you know, because he's like supposed to be like kind of the new face of the series, he is. He gets a lot of attention. He's also fairly good. Like he's fairly meta. He's a fairly good pick. Um, I think. Com at this point, I think the commonly thought top of the tier list right now are Ken and, um, uh, and and Luke. Um, Ken Ken's got like a lot like. I would say his execution is easy, but he's got a lot of a lot of like tools that like link together very easily. Um, Luke, I think, is just kind of like all around strong. Um, whereas like um, who I play Zangief is generally considered to be relatively low tier, just because uh, he doesn't have uh, like he doesn't have great anti air tools, stuff like that. Um, and like especially like on launch, his um, his super one, which is an anti air super, like would whiff all the time, even in places where you you think it wouldn't. But you know, that is neither here nor there. Um, I will always play Zangief just because that's, that's the kind of style I play. I like, uh, you know, it's funny. I actually did end up playing a bunch of a fighting game this week. Uh, which one called smack studio. Have you ever heard of smack studio? No. Smack studio is a platformer fighter. Um, that is like smash brothers. Um, but the interesting thing about smack studio is they have a character builder, um, where you can upload your own sprite sheets. Um, and create your own sort of smash character with like an up special, down special, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then they have integrated Steam Workshop support um, that 
includes, you know, all of these like extra characters. Um, and, uh, you know, this is actually also like maybe an interesting legal question. Um, and I, I ended up playing Smack Studio with a couple of people um, where like they have some like standard characters, but then we went on the Steam Workshop and we started, you know, like playing with like the, the Workshop made characters. I played Goku. Uh, somebody played a Zigzagoon. But the interesting one was somebody played an Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones has a revolver and he... It does. Um, it does so much. It's like max damage. It's just like it's like a one hit kill. Basically, he has a six shot revolver, um, and so it's like you just you shoot somebody with your revolver, and, and you basically like auto win. And it's just it was it was a very interesting experience. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I'd be interested to see. I'd be interested to see. You know what you what you find uh, by man. taking a look at Smack Studio. Have yeah. you ever heard of um, oh, what's it called? Um, what is what is the name of it? Uh, it's it's basically uh, a game. It's, it's a it's a fighting game. It's, it's very much like this. Uh, uh, salt like salty bet is built on top of that salty bet. Yes, yes, yes. No, I know what you're talking about. Um, Mugen? Is it yeah, Mugen. Mugen. That's it. Mugen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. A very similar sounding thing, right? Where like you know, people built their own characters. And it is kind of up to you to like not download a bunch of busted characters, right? Like you know. And ruin yeah. the game because like they have some there's some cool stuff there right there's like I think like there's like a killer whale pack and like the the whale just like sits below the surface and you hit a button and it like like pops up and like murders people right it's very hard to kill but like you know you're just basically on your own to like not make the game terrible for yourself it feels like this is the same thing here which is yeah uh, um yeah you know I, I yeah the copyright thing is what I find really interesting about this is like um. You know, there's obviously all these licensed characters in the work in the in like the Steam Workshop, right? You know, Goku and like yeah. Pikachu and stuff like that. But like, what's the liability there? It's got to be on the Workshop mod author, right? It's not on like the game itself. It's it's on if this again is my is it's probably on the author, but it's probably subject mm. to the same takedown stuff. That like you would normally be right. Like I'm sure if yeah. Nintendo finds this, they will issue like seven thousand takedown notices, and Gabe will be like, "Okay, these are gone now, right?" Because um, they like I think I think under Section two forty they would not be liable. I don't although there might be some sort of um, yeah, because the platform is not liable for user hosted content, right? And that's uh, what this would be user generated content typically. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. user generated content. Yeah, um, obviously the content's hosted. Yeah, uh, on the condition <clears throat> yeah. that they act pretty in a pretty timely fashion when informed of about infringing content um yep. oh and you know what else i played actually this week um that i saw charles friend of the cast charles play is foxhole have you heard about foxhole uh i have not uh or rather i have in in that charles told me to check it out and i didn't so why don't you tell me about it okay i have foxhole and i played a little bit of it just like just to fuck around I could, I really, I was like, first, I was like, oh God, I could go really deep on this game. Um, because it's like a, it's like a permanent world, like war 
state uh, or whatever in like World War II kind of like era tech. Um, and I just sort of spawned in. I got a gun. I like walked forward. And then I just like came across like essentially a battalion of other guys. And the voice is like proximity based. So I was like listening to this guy in a tank giving orders to the infantry surrounding. And I just kind of fell in line. And I started like following these orders. I fought in a battle. We all died because we had one tank. The, the other side had three. It was just like, it was incredible. And I was just like, oh my God, if I did this like i was just doing this alone i didn't know any of these people but like i immediately imagined oh like getting into a discord server so having somebody be like you know like do this do this thing or whatever so anyway <laughs> this is a future podcast episode waiting to happen okay charles introduces us to foxhole or something or we just decide to play together or whatever i don't know i, I it, it is very very good ground to just mine content, I think I really want to. I want to. I want to figure this game out. Um, <clears throat> Interesting. Is it? Is it? Um. What's it called? Uh, is it? Uh. I, um. Is it first person? No, it's isometric. Okay, I was gonna say it looked isometric, but like the way you were talking about, it, I wasn't sure if it was like, you know, like um. Savage, where like one person was drawn out and everybody else was. Uh, yeah, it's essentially. Do you know what a, oh, like I a twin Fox stick Hole. shooter is? Oh, you do. Yeah, this is what we these... should. We should talk to Charles about like setting like because I'm sure he has like a guild or a clan or something like that. And that's the thing I, I like. I feel like was missing from my like Foxhole night um, was I wasn't connect like I didn't join a Discord or anything like that. Nobody even like advertised for it, right? And I really had no idea what I was see, doing. See, the um, thing is, is I feel like you're talking about like proximity chat. I feel like you kind of don't want to do discord i think you want to like i feel like the, the 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 purest version of this is keeping it in game right um but i i see what you're saying um well so yeah the thing is is that i just didn't understand a lot of like the mechanics right, right. like i didn't really understand like what i was sort of like going for the best i could do is uh figure out i spawned in a base that had a lot of supplies um and uh, I spawned the base. The base had a ton of supplies in it. Um, and I picked up some of the supplies and I essentially went to the front line. Um, but the process of setting up those supply lines is also something that is player content, right? So, for instance, in owned territory, like in territory you owned, you can mine iron ore, refine it into steel, use put that steel in a factory to spit out a tank, and then deliver those tanks to the front line. And it's like, that's the stuff I feel like I would need a Discord to understand, right? Yeah. Um, like the other, the other pieces of, outside of just being a grunt, right? Um, kind of like on the ground, um, yeah, anyway, I, that stuff was crazy. They apparently have naval warfare now, which I'm obviously into for a fucking, you know, for doomed boat reasons, basically. Um, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, that's Foxhole. If you ever want to do Foxhole shenanigans, you know, let, let's let's figure it out. Makes sense. All right, yeah. well, I was afraid we weren't going to be able to fill this episode, but we're over time, so I think we should... Uh, <laughs> True. I think we should okay. wrap it up. Uh yeah. If you'd like to email us about any of the stuff we talked about in this podcast, you can email us at um, snoopsplaygames at gmail.com or uh, podcast at snoopsplaygames.com. You can follow us twitch.tv slash snoopsplaygames or uh, youtube.com slash snoopsplaygames. These go out live. Um, rate reviews where you can find wherever you find podcasts. Um, all the links are in the description. Buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote? I have nothing that I am, excuse me, looking to promote. Well, in that case, I'm going to say uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.